Genesis 19, we're going to pick up at verse 18, where we left off. It says, And Lot said unto them, O, not so, my Lord. Behold, now thy servant hath found grace in thy sight. Thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life. I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me and I die. Behold, now this city is near to flee unto, and it is a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city for the which thou hast spoken. Haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou canst be come thither. Therefore the name of the city was called Zor. The sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zor. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities, and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities, that which grew upon the ground. But his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. And he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain, beheld, and lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in the which Lot dwelt. Lot went up out of Zor and dwelt in the mountain and his two daughters with him, for he feared to dwell in Zor, and he dwelt in the cave, he and his two daughters. And the firstborn said unto the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man in the earth to come in unto us, after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine. We will lie with him, and that we may preserve seed of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. And he perceived not when she lay down, nor when she arose. And it came to pass on the morrow that the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay yesternight with my father. Let us make him drink wine this night also. Go thou in and lie with him, that we may preserve seed of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he perceived not when she lay down, nor when she arose. Thus were both the daughters of Lot with child by their father. And the firstborn bare a son and called his name Moab, the same as the father of the Moabites unto this day. And the younger she also bare a son and called his name Ben-Ami, the same as the father of the children of Ammon unto this day. Amen. God will bless the reading of his word. Now, in this second part of this chapter, we see two aspects of God's judgment. We see God judging Sodom and Gomorrah. It's very clear and very obvious. But we also see God judging Lot and his choices and his family. But despite his failures, and they were many, and even as you come to the end of this chapter, 
you almost shake your head with amazement that this man's a believer. But despite his failures and his terrible failures, God never failed Lot. And oh, Lot forsook God. God didn't forsake him. And I suppose that's one of the great highlights of this tragic chapter, this awful chapter, that we see the hand of God, the good shepherd, bringing his sheep, albeit by the skin of their teeth, out and taking them out of this judgment. And lots of classic illustration of a worldly saint. Paul describes uh, such a person in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15 as one that enters heaven by the skin of his teeth. He says, listen to his words, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Paul says, uh, when God weighs up a person's life, a believer's life, and if they've lived a life like Lot, everything will burn up. There's dross, wood and hay and stubble. He uses that metaphor. But Paul says their life, their soul is still saved because they're not saved by works, they're saved by grace. And because they're saved by grace, they get to heaven almost by the skin of their teeth. And Lot was a man you'd almost think was not a Christian. It's hard to imagine he even was a Christian, a believer when you read this chapter. Now, we picked up the reading in verse 18 with Lot being dragged out of Sodom. You notice it says in verse 16, while he lingered, even he knew the judgment was coming that night. And he's still lingering, still hanging around. Just can't bear to leave the place. The place where his heart was set upon the riches and the position and the power and the beautiful home that he enjoyed in Sodom and Gomorrah and his family that were there. He just couldn't leave it. And even though he knew there was no time left, still couldn't encourage himself to even put a foot ahead of the other foot and get out. And you know, there's a lot of believers like him. And they know the Lord's coming back and he's coming back soon and they know that time is running out. But they're still just clinging on. Another day, another week, another year. Maybe maybe I'll get right with God. I'll come back to the Lord in another while. But I just enjoying this sin too much to give up. And that was Lot. And although Lot was then dragged out of Sodom by the angels, took him by the hand and took him out because he didn't want to leave. We discover even as he left, he doesn't want to go too far. And he says to the angels, as he's leaving, he says, Behold now, verse 19, thy servant. So he, he knows that he's not the superior here. These are powerful angels. These are the servants of God, and they've come into his midst, and the angels are powerful entities, powerful creatures. We know from Scripture that one angel had the power to put to death in one night nearly 200,000 warriors. A lot has to do with them. And uh, he calls him thy servant. 
And he says, Behold, now thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy. So Lot acknowledges that God has showed mercy to him, great mercy, in not destroying him in Sodom and Gomorrah. He, he understood that he shouldn't have been there. He understood that he shouldn't have stayed there. And the very fact that he's now away from the place that God's about to destroy in a most terrifying manner is God's great mercy. And we would almost expect to read in the next verse, and Lot repented of his backsliding. And Lot said, I was wrong for living all those years in Sodom and Gomorrah. I was wrong to let these material things influence and control my choices for my family. And I've already seen with my sons-in-law the damage that it's done. We'd expect Lot to say that, wouldn't we? At such a place, at such a time. We would expect him to say, take me to Uncle Abraham, the man of God, God's friend, a man who can pray for me and for my family. I may not have the grace to pray for myself because of my backslidden condition, but at least I know Uncle Abraham's walking with God. Take me to him and his wife, Sarah. Let me fellowship with him. I can trust them to take care of me. I know him. He's a gracious man. He's a forgiving man. He's a man who has a love for me and a love for my family that I don't even have. If you remember, Lot offered his daughters to the men of Sodom. No great love for his own children. But Abraham had a love for them because we see in the last chapter he was interceding for them. He was asking God to have mercy upon Sodom and Gomorrah for their sake. In fact, I think a verse that's often overlooked in this chapter is what it says in verse 29, and it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain, it says that God remembered Abraham. God remembered Abraham's prayer. He knew the desire that was behind Abraham's prayer, that Abraham loved and cared for Lot and his wife and his children and their in-laws. Although Lot had no care for them, Abraham did. And he prayed for them. And God, in verse 29, remembered Abraham and sent Lot. So we're told this little insight. The reason Lot was spared was not because Lot deserved to be spared, but because God had a heart for Abraham and a heart for Abraham's prayer. Of course, we're at the prayer meeting tonight and you're going to have an opportunity later on in public or private to pray for people dear to you who have no time for God. Even believers who have no time for the things of God. But you can still pray for them you can still bring them before the throne of grace. And the good news is this, God can answer that prayer. Like God's going to save Lot's life in a different way than Abraham expected or was praying for. 
Abraham thought the way for Lot's life to be saved is for Sodom to be saved from the destruction. But God had another way. He would take Lot out of Sodom and then destroy it. That was God's way of saying yes but no to Abraham. My way is better than your way. But the interesting thing is Abraham obviously prayed for Lot. And in that verse, it tells us God remembered. God remembered the prayer. God hadn't forgotten. God answered the prayers, really what it's saying, I believe, in that situation. Now, Lot gives this pathetic request. Instead of repenting, instead of asking to go to Uncle Abraham, who really cared for him, who would have taken care of him, he says in verse 19, I cannot escape to the mountain. I can't leave this area. Lest some evil take me and I die. Behold, now this city is near to flee unto, and it is a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. Instead of getting as far away from Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot says to the angel, He's really talking to God. He's really asking through the angel to God. Can I just stay as close as possible to Sodom and Gomorrah? If I can't stay there anymore, I, let, me, let me just go to the nearest place. That reminds me of there. Maybe he's thinking I can rebuild my fortune again in a place like Sodom and Gomorrah. And you know, the implication in his remarks is Zor is just a little place. It's not such a big sinful place as Solomon Gomorrah. Maybe I could just go there, start all over again. What a foolish man. It's no wonder when we come to the end of the chapter we discover that his sins just got worse and worse and worse and his legacy got worse and worse, and worse. If he had escaped at this point and got to Abraham, we'd almost have a reasonable opinion about him. Not a great opinion, but at least his legacy and his reputation would have been greatly tarnished, but it wouldn't be totally destroyed. But not Lot. Maybe I, I don't know the reason exactly why he didn't want to go back to Abraham. Was it pride? Or did he think that maybe I could Rebuild my business again? Rebuild my reputation here again? I could have a new Sodom at Zor? But here's the amazing thing in response is the long-suffering of God with this man. Verse 21, And he said unto him, as to Lot, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also that I will not overthrow this city for the which thou hast spoken. Haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou become thither. Therefore the name of the city was called Zor. Lot should have got as far away from Sodom and Gomorrah as he could. It brought nothing but trouble to him. But he just couldn't go. And God, in his mercy, says, okay, just go there. 
And you know, sometimes the worst thing God can let happen to us is let us do what we want to do. Just let us go to where our heart really wants to be. And we'll discover when we go there that the consequences of that choice will be a great judgment in and of itself. And if Lot had not gone to that place, Zor, he may at least have seen his daughters saved. He may at least have been protected from the consequences of the drunkenness and the folly if he had got his daughters back under the influence of Abraham, and at least Abraham and Sarah could have taught them right from wrong and undid the evil that Sodom did in their lives, but he didn't. And God says, okay, we've dragged you out of Sodom, but we're not going to drag you anymore, any further. That's your choice. You're now going to take the consequence of your choice. And God then sends the judgment upon Sodom. It says in verse 24, Then the Lord. So this is God at work. This is not some random apocalyptic event. This is God, the finger of God, on this city and these two cities. And he rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. I remember Mr. Spurgeon years ago when he commented, reading his commentary on this particular incident, and he said, God rained hell out of heaven. What a state. Fire and brimstone. The Bible speaks of God opening the windows of heaven and pouring us out a blessing. But he also speaks of opening heaven and pouring out judgment. And if you don't take the blessing, you have to take the judgment. And Sodom and Gomorrah now are going to be destroyed. And these two places throughout human history are now synonymous with two events. Number one, gross, vile, depraved action and sin. And number two, and this is often overlooked by those who engage and celebrate such sin, God's judgment on that sin and those who engage in it because what you see that day in Sodom and Gomorrah with God raining hell out of heaven and destroying that place the Lord Jesus Christ tells us in the New Testament that is a picture that is a pattern of what God is going to do to this whole planet when Jesus Christ returns. What, what you see there in microcosm is what you're going to see on the whole scale, the worldwide scale. Because when Jesus Christ comes back to this earth, it's not going to be two cities that are destroyed. This whole planet is going to burn up and the elements are going to melt with fervent heat, the Bible says. And every saint and every place of sin will face the judgment of God. And that's why the word Sodom is hated today by the Sodomites and those who support them. Because it's a reminder not only of God's hatred of their sin, but God's judgment and coming judgment upon their sin. 
But then notice one other person who's going to be affected by this. Verse 26, but his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. Lot, we don't know anything about this woman. We don't even know her name. When Abraham and Lot were together, before the split happened in Genesis chapter 13, we don't read anything about this woman's existence. And some people think that she was from Sodom and Gomorrah. But Lot met her after he moved there with all his wealth. And she was a woman of Sodom. Because there's no mention of her, there's no mention of children that Lot had before this incident. But there is now. And this woman is going to lose her life just a few steps from safety. She's almost in the place of safety, but she turned back because her heart wasn't just longing for Sodom. She turned and went back towards it. Even though she knew it was being destroyed, even though doubt if she could see it being destroyed, her heart just wanted to be there amongst the ungodly people. And God, in his judgment, turned her into a pillar of salt. It's almost like a science fiction movie, isn't it? Because she had grace. She, God had given her mercy and grace in taking her out of it, and yet she still went back. The only thing God could do now was to destroy her. And she became a pillar of salt. And her swift judgment by God is used by the Lord Jesus Christ in Luke's Gospel, chapter 17, as an example of God's judgment upon such a sinner. When he said this, remember Lot's wife. Don't forget what happened to her that even in the mercy, when she kept turning her back on God's mercy, she was then destroyed and judged by God. Don't, don't make that mistake. Now, isn't it interesting we don't read of any concern of Lot for his wife? No tears? No weeping? No taking his daughters aside and saying, now look what's happened to your mother. In fact, the whole impression you get of Lot as he lives in Sodom and even as the destruction comes upon Sodom and even the subsequent actions after he leaves Sodom is of a man that has indifference to his family. He's careless. A man that's fully, we could say, self-centered. And any time you see a person, a professing Christian, even a Christian, who has no interest in his family and the welfare of his family, particularly the spiritual welfare of the family. That's a thermometer, spiritual thermometer. A person's far from God. And maybe I'm talking to someone tonight, and all of us need to examine our hearts and say, am I really concerned for my welfare, the eternal welfare of my family? Do I really... Am I really burdened or is it just something that well, doesn't really bother me? It's their choice. They live and die. Well, it doesn't really bother me. As long as I get to heaven. As long as I'm okay. 
as long as I do all right in this world, whatever happens to them is their problem. And you know you can get to that point because Lot proves it, doesn't it, in this story. Remember, Lot, as we examine this story, he's not a child. Sometimes we think of children and I say, the child's selfish. And babies are the most selfish of all, aren't they? They demand feeding when? Now. And if they don't get what they want, they scream. And that's understandable when it's a baby, when it's immature, when it's an infant. But when it carries on into teenage years and then adulthood, that's the big problem, isn't it? And Lot's like a spiritual infant. He never grows up. It's all about me, me, me. And the fact that this man's mature, that this man has been a contemporary as well as a friend of a man like Abraham for many years, and still doesn't have the heart of Abraham, still hasn't picked up anything from Abraham, tells you this is a very self-centered man. But it also tells you and I, this could be me. I could find myself in such a state, surrounded by such graciousness and godliness, and still live such an ungodly life. Remember the story just a chapter or two before, when Lot almost lost his life lost his home, lost his freedom, lost his family when he was taken away in captivity. And who was it who came to save him? Abraham. Who risked his life to save him? Abraham. And Abraham had a love and a concern for Lot and his family that Lot had no concern for. And my point is, that could happen to you and me. And if it is happening... It's a sign that we're more like Lot than Abraham. And we're heading the same direction as Abraham. One of the writers said this, Lot at best was half-hearted. I wouldn't even say he was half-hearted. I think that's too generous. In his relationship with God. And as Abraham had a growing relationship, intimacy with God, Lot grew cooler, didn't he? Drifted, drifted, and drifted. Abraham made many mistakes, this writer said. But he learned from them. He grew from them. He moved on from them, but Lot never seemed to. He always seemed to get worse and worse and worse. Every mistake led to another mistake. Repeat the mistake. Went to Sodom when he shouldn't have gone. And then when he got himself kidnapped, he went back to Sodom. And even when he was taken out of Sodom by the angels, he still wanted to go back. And even after he found himself out of Sodom by force, he said to the angels, I may not be able to live anymore at Sodom. What can I live nearby? Never learned. As I said, he was not an immature man. He was not a child. He was a man of experience. He was a man of years. He was a man of position. He was a man of prominence. He, was, he wasn't a nobody lot. Sometimes when we read these stories in the Bible, we have this idea in our minds sometimes that Lot was some type of teenager. You know, he just hadn't grown up. He was a married man with sons-in-law. A man who had seen 
many ups and downs of the world and in this life, and yet he still behaved this way. They got out of Sodom with the clothes on his back. That's all he had left. His dignity, his reputation in tatters. But he still wouldn't repent and still wouldn't get right with God. And you know, you almost don't want to read the last part of the chapter, sure you don't. But it's part of the scriptural record, so we had to read it. But if things were bad in Sodom for Lot, in terms of his own personal conduct, it's even worse out of Sodom. And because he wouldn't repent when God delivered him from Sodom, Lot went down, down, down. And for the first time in the story, not only do we discover Lot drunk, and find him drunk in Sodom. By the way, I'm tempted to go on a little tangent about Christians and alcohol. Because you'll see every time in the book of Genesis a Christian, a believer, touches alcohol, it degrades him. Look what happened to Noah when he touched the alcohol. Look what happened to Lot when he took the alcohol. Both believers. And we could go on a, a pit, uh, a long tangent about the dangers of getting involved, even as a believer, with alcohol. People say to me, oh, well, you know, chocolate's an addiction. I always say, well, you can drink chocolate, but it won't send you crazy. Eat five bars of dairy milk, but it won't destroy your testimony. You might get a bit overweight, but you won't go around losing your dignity. But I won't digress. And I'll just say this. The best place for a Christian is to keep away from it. It's a dangerous thing. Dangerous thing to bring into your home. And Lot, he got himself because he wouldn't repent. I think that's the gist of this story. Because he wouldn't deal with his sin. It led him into worse sins. And now having offered his daughters to the men of Sodom, he becomes partakers of that sin in his own home. What an indignity. What a terrible end to his family and to his own reputation. Let me finish by saying this. Lot's choices brought terrible consequences to himself and to his home. And sometimes when we think of sin, we deceive ourselves into the idea that if I sin, it's just me. It doesn't affect anybody else. But we discover from Lot's story that Lot's sin affected many, many others by his example by the consequences that flowed in his own home, by the words that he said and the things that he did, what, what an influence it had on his sons-in-law and then on his own two daughters and their choices. Of course, we could contrast that with Abraham because remember what the Lord said about Abraham in the chapter before, but I know him, God said. 
I know his character, that he commands his home to walk in the ways of God. God says, Abraham's a man who's the very opposite of Lot. By his example, by his leadership, he leads his home into godliness. They never said that a lot. Lot did the very opposite. And Lot had no peace in his heart all those years in Sodom. Because we're told every day his soul was vexed. And if you're a child of God and you hang around with the world and listen to their conversation and go to their places of entertainment and switch on their programs and fill your mind with their, the ways that they talk and their jokes, you'll discover yourself, first of all, vexed. It'll vex you. But then, like Lot, you'll discover that you'll start to slowly begin to put up with it, live with it. And in the end, you'll start to almost talk like them, think like the way Lot was, talk like the men of Sodom. And putting God second in your life, is always the way to spiritual misery. It's always the way. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. Hard. And sometimes we think of that verse and think, well, that's talking about the unsaved. And it's certainly true. If you look at the unsaved alarm tonight, you see them staggering down the street, or out doing their jogging and then running off to their houses. You can see the hardness on their faces. You can see the emptiness. You can see the sense of, I've, I'm not satisfied with the way I'm living. But then they just keep going back, keep continuing on. And the way of the transgressor is hard. It's a hard way to live with no God in your life. It's a hard way to come to face death. It's a hard way to face the challenges of life with no one to comfort you, with no hope of eternity, with no hope of heaven. Well, that's a hard way to live. But it's just as hard a way to live for a believer. Lot lived that way. And in 24 hours, in fact, let me put it stronger than that, in less than 24 hours, Lot lost everything that he spent his life building. He lost his home. He lost his business. He lost all his money. He lost his wife. He lost his sons-in-law. He lost his two daughters. And worst of all, he lost his testimony. He lost everything. And he's there in the Bible to let you and I know that you can't gain the world and live for God. You can't serve the two masters. You've got to make a choice. I was at Ballybean on Sunday night and I said to them, when you're young, you have to choose your football team and stick with it. And I said, I chose Manchester United, which didn't make some of them very happy. But I said, I stuck with them through thick and thin, still there even in the hard days now. But I said, you have to make a choice too. You have to make your choice. Choose your team. If you're on God's team, that's your team. You have to stick with it. You can't jump between the devil's team and God's team. That was Lot's problem. He just couldn't 
be satisfied like Abraham was for staying with God's team. Tried to have a foot in both camps. Never can work. Don't make his mistake. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for even the story that is there recorded to show us that how far a man of God, a fellow believer, fellow brother can fall by making the wrong choices. And I'm sure that day when Lot left Abraham, Genesis chapter 13, he never imagined he would end up drunk, degraded, and having seen his own family destroyed before his very eyes. But it happened. And Lord, we pray that it will be a warning to all of us. Paul says in his writings, Let him who thinketh he standeth take heed lest he also fall. For these things we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen.